This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting in Michigan. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I am Jolan Ansami, your co-host joined by Natasha Sardorj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable brings together leading voices from business, government, media, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and via YouTube on International Leaders Summit. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting in Michigan and the Midwest, we're delighted to host distinguished and principal leader Judge Henry Saad. Judge Henry Saad graduated with honors from Wayne State University Business School and Wayne State University Law School Magna Cum Laude. Judge Saad served as an adjunct professor at both Wayne State University Law School and the University of Detroit Mercy School of Law. In a career that spans more than 40 years, Saad's experiences include 20 years at the law firm of Dickinson Wright, where he served as partner. In 1994, former Governor Engler appointed Judge Saad to the Michigan Court of Appeals, a role he held for 23 years including a term as Chief Judge of the Michigan Court of Appeals. Judge Saad was nominated for federal appointments by both President H. W. Bush and President George W. Bush. In 2018, Judge Henry Saad joined Young & Associates' professional legal team as counsel to the firm. Indeed, it is our great honor to welcome Judge Henry Saad to America's Roundtable. Welcome, Judge Saad. Welcome, Judge Saad. Thank you, Joe and Natasha. Pleasure to be with you. This past week on Capitol Hill, U.S. Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett faced questions including Medicare and the U.S. Constitution to the extent of press freedom and her views on race relations, climate change, and the executive branch's power at her confirmation hearing this past week. As America has faced issues of strict lockdowns, uh, we have also seen at the state levels governors issuing executive orders. And this past week, uh, we found out that the Michigan Supreme Court ruled against Governor Whitmer again, ending her COVID-19 executive orders. And it brings us back to the significance of the rule of law in America. The Supreme Court of the United States uh, is the highest federal court in the country and the head of the judicial branch of government. It was established in 1789. The U.S. Constitution laid out the separation of powers between three branches of government, judiciary, legislative, and executive. The system of checks and balances was created whereby no one branch can control too much power. The U.S. Constitution has been a model for new emerging democracies around the world which are trying to establish the division of powers for the very first time in their respective countries. A judge said, during this past week's confirmation hearings for Supreme Court nominee Judge Amy Coney Barrett, we heard questions from U.S. senators representing the legislative branch asking for Judge Barrett's personal positions and personal opinions on various issues. 
implying that Judge Baird will not just interpret the law, but endanger the independent judiciary and system of checks and balances. Judge Saad, what do you make of the hearings and the questions that confuse legislative and judicial powers? Well, Natasha, that's an interesting and very pointed question because you hit it right on the head. When they accuse her of using her personal predilections or her religious faith to make their decisions, recall that some very wise people had said that uh, when they accuse you of doing something, you can be sure that they themselves are doing it. If you are a constitutional conservative, as she is, and has expressed her philosophy of judicial policy, and that is, as with Judge Scalia, the idea is that you do not bring your personal predilections, your religious philosophy, or your ideology. You are a rule of law judge. She said that numerous times, and indeed, she could have said it a thousand different ways, but the message was clear. My personal view is not the point. I am here to follow the law, whether it's constitutions or statutes I'm interpreting, and because the Code of Ethics says I should not state how I personally view this or how I would rule on something, I can only tell you what the law says. And that's what she did time after time. I mean, what a wonderful job she did. But again, going back to what is at play and why they're doing what they're doing, you have to ask yourself, how is it that when their nominees to the Supreme Court, be it Ginsburg or Kagan, are treated with respect, with like scholars and professionals, but when our nominees, that is the constitutional conservatives, are nominated, like Kavanaugh, or Thomas, or Bork, or more recently, Amy Coney Barrett, they are savaged, uh, defamed, ridiculed, and it becomes uh, a circus. I mean, Kavanaugh is probably the height of how bad it gets. And wh why is it that it is so important for them to do this? You have to ask what's going on behind the scenes. What's going on behind the scenes is the left wants the judges that they place on the bench to do exactly what they're accusing her of doing and that is to have their personal predilections, their policies make the law, their preferences, their ideology. The, what Judge Bork, for example, now his name is a verb, the way he expressed it to Kennedy when Kennedy and others on the Judiciary Committee were trying to defame him, well, isn't your personal view on abortion? And he said, my personal view shouldn't make any difference. It shouldn't. Why? Because it's not even something the Constitution covers. This is something for 300 million people to decide in the 50 states through their elected representatives. One unelected judge, is a judge on the Supreme Court because he puts on a black robe, or she does, shouldn't make a decision for 300 million people. It should not invalidate 50 state laws and the debate. That's what's going on when you have a judge take the Constitution and use that to constitutionalize something that has nothing to do with the Constitution. How is it that you don't have school prayer, they decide life and death, all these issues, the definition of marriage? If the Founding Fathers had seen what the Supreme Court is doing now, they would be rolling in their graves. Of course, this is not what judges are supposed to do. But if you are from the left and you want to fundamentally transform the United States into your vision and make it a secular country as opposed to a Judeo-Christian-based constitutional republic, then you need the judges to do what they're doing. And you need the governors and the mayors to do what they're doing and violate the rule of law 
by allowing rioting, by not enforcing the laws, no borders, no police. I mean, pretty soon, right? Soon as they say that, you know what they want to do is fundamentally transform the country. So how do you do that? The Supreme Court is key. Why? Because once they make a decision, like abortion or school prayer or whatever the case, or they say, you know, there is no Second Amendment to the Constitution. They really didn't mean that, so nobody has guns. And if they pack the court, they'll do that. Then all of a sudden, the game is over. There is no more debate. Because why? Because the Supreme Court's decided the issue under the guise of the Constitution, which means it trumps everything, when in fact it had nothing to do with it in the first place. So it is a power grab of amazing proportions. And because they're trying to do it, they're accusing the other side of doing it. And of course, what constitutional conservatives say is that we're not supposed to be engaged in that. Judiciary is supposed to decide cases and controversies that come before them based on the rule of law. Amy Coney Barrett must have said that a hundred times. But that's not what the left wants. They want just the opposite. And there is a power grab of historic proportions, and you can see it everywhere. Judge Saad, a great many, including Democrat Senator Feinstein, remarked that she was impressed to hear Judge Barrett's response to contentious issues. We noticed the poise expressing wisdom and knowledge that Judge Barrett imparted, and it captured the interest of all Americans. It was enlightening. Uh, Judge Saad, when reviewing Judge Amy Coney Barrett's credentials and qualifications, what are your thoughts and impressions when listening to Judge Barron's responses on Capitol Hill, and from your perspective, what will she bring to the U.S. Supreme Court as justice of our nation's highest court? She is the quintessential judge. One, she is exceptionally bright, and that really helps because the law is complicated. But you also have to have character and integrity, which she has. How bright is she? I mean, you just talk to her professors, best student I've ever had in my career. I taught law school. If a professor says that, that's significant. She's voted Teacher of the Year numerous times at Notre Dame. She is a clerk at the Supreme Court. To get to be a clerk at the United States Supreme Court, you've got to be number one. And not only do you have to be number one, but you have to have a lot of other credentials. And each judge has, what, six or seven clerks, so there's 40, 50 at, at any one time. All of them voted her to be the top of all the clerks. That is the smartest one, the go-to person. You're talking about the best of the best, not just 1%, but the 1% of the 1%. And this is a woman who, with seven children, who loves her family, loves her God, who unabashedly announces to the world that she believes in the power of prayer. This is the kind of person you want, and she has judicial humility. That's not my role to say what the law should be. My personal predilection should not enter into it. Do we all have personal predilections? Of course we do. But the job of the judge, when you put on the robe, is not to play God and jury. It is simply to ask, was the law followed? What does the law say as best you can? That is a complicated enough. So she is just phenomenal, whether as a professor of law, doing a great job on the Seventh Circuit, as a clerk, a mother, a citizen adopting two young children from Haiti who needed desperately to have a family. I mean, how could you be more admirable than this person? And what she did at this hearing in the face of people on the left, the Democrats, who were attempting to paint her as something other than what she is because of her religious beliefs. Feinstein, you mentioned, she said the last time she was before Feinstein for the Seventh Circuit, oh, the dogma lives loudly in you? Well, you know, Amy is too nice to have said, well, 
you know, the secularism lives loudly in you, Senator. How about the Chinese spy that you had driving you for 30 years? But she won't retaliate because she is a classy professional who's going to do her job. And if all judges in our country were like this soon-to-be Supreme Court Justice Barrett, we'd be a better country. Uh, Democrat senators have been using scare tactics to disrupt the confirmation of Judge Baird as Supreme Court Justice. One of the most debated issues during the Supreme Court confirmation hearings was the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. The Affordable Care Act is scheduled to be heard by the Supreme Court on November 10. Now, through executive orders, Trump's administration lowered prescription drug prices ended surprise medical billing, and reduced the price of insulin. The administration's most recent executive order to protect people with pre-existing conditions was signed by President Trump on September 24. Judge Saad, in light of these executive orders, division of powers, independent judiciary, and Judge Barrett's originalist approach to the interpretation of the Constitution, what are your thoughts about these scare tactics employed by Democrat senators regarding striking down the Affordable Care Act? First of all, the uh, Judge Roberts, a few years ago, as you know, did the bidding of the left by affirming the Affordable Care Act when it was clearly unconstitutional. Secondly, the case that is coming before the Supreme Court has nothing to do with the validity of the Affordable Care Act. So to say it's a scare tactic is so right because, as she rightly claimed, we're not going to be deciding the validity of the act. And even if we were, I couldn't comment on it. So these were talking points that their staff put together, many of which had nothing to do with who she is, nothing to do with coming before her. It was a show for the election. And they're trying to stop her before the election because they're worried that if she gets in, then they won't have a nominee to put on the court. They want to put on a judicial activist who will do their bidding, who will follow their ideological preferences. The interesting thing is that the constitutional conservative will not do that in kind. They're not going to say, well, we are going to overturn a case because we don't like that point of view. What they will do is follow the law. There are some complexities about whether you follow precedent or not, but we won't get into that right now. But the big dividing point is that a constitutional conservative in the line of Scalia's and the Alito's and the Thomas's says, this is a limited government. We all have our place in it. There are checks and balances. The judiciary has a limited role. Congress has its role. That's what Bork was saying back when they barked Bork, when he said, we should not be deciding for 300 million people. We should be deciding cases and controversies under the Constitution, not making public policy, not changing ideology and philosophy for the whole country. Justice Jackson, who was on the Supreme Court many years ago, uh, when they reversed themselves one year afterwards, and uh, somebody asked him, well, how is, we're looking at the same Constitution. How was it constitutional last year and unconstitutional this year? And interestingly, he had said in his opinion, and he quoted himself, just as Jackson did, put on the bench by FDR, he said, you know what, in a somewhat arrogant way, we are final, not because we're infallible, or infallible because we're final. In other words, once we make a decision, it's done. Unless, of course, you amend the U.S. Constitution, which is a huge undertaking. So... The Democrats understand the Constitution this far. 
that once they constitutionalize an issue, whether it's school prayer, you can't even say, you know, uh, God bless our children at a commencement ceremony. Since when? Well, Supreme Court said you can't. That's unconstitutional. It's bizarre, but that's what they said. Now, you mean in 50 states, now nobody at any graduation ceremony can say a prayer, non-denominational prayer, God bless our children and, and peace watch over them in their new careers. They had, I think, a rabbi say that, and the United States Supreme Court held some kind. That's one. If the left wants to do that, if they want to change faith, they want to change family, redefine family, redefine marriage, redefine what goes on in schools, life and death. If you put your own judges on that bench and they say, guess what? Our word is final. No one elected us. We're here for life. We're unaccountable. We don't have to answer any questions. We get to decide if we recuse ourselves. All of a sudden, you see that the game is a very important one at that Supreme Court. And if you want to have absolute power, that's what you do. Now, if you're a governor, like Governor Whitmer, and you want to wield absolute power, what do you do? You manipulate the statutes at play. And you say, well, I have absolute power under the statute. Well, why is it that you went to the legislature after 28 days, like the 1976 law provides, if you have an epidemic or a pandemic, and in fact, the 1976 law uses those precise words, epidemic. If you have one of these, you can issue executive orders, and it could be very broad, very powerful, but come back in 28 days and both houses of the legislature have to approve it before you go forward with another one. She did that the first time, got the extension, got another 28 days. But when they said, you're going a bit too far, let's sit down and negotiate. Oh, no, no. There's this other law back here in 1945 that says, I have absolute power for infinity. It never ends, which is an unbelievable proposition. In a government that's of limited government, you mean you have absolute power in perpetuity? It never stops. You can do whatever you want. That's what she's claiming. So finally, the Michigan Supreme Court said, ah, no, stop, stop. This is too much. If you want to manipulate statutes, if you want to manipulate the Constitution as a court or as a governor, either way, if you don't believe in the rule of law, if you think you have absolute power, the whole system collapses. And that's what we've seen, whether it's rioting in cities and no one does anything about it, or in Michigan where, you know, you can go buy marijuana, but you can't go into church. And then people say, in what world did this happen? Why is it that I don't recognize America anymore? Well, that's because people have been taking over power while others are sleeping, whether it's the courts, the states, or the universities. So is this particular nomination confirmation process any different than what's happened in the past? No. When I went through the process, I went through the same thing, and many others did. Miguel Estrada, Bork, Pickering, you name it. It wasn't quite as sensational because in the other courts, it doesn't get as much attention. But this has been going on for years. And the power grab has been going on for years. And you see it in the media. All the things, well, how is it that they're lying in the media, that they're just making stuff up? And even when it's found out to be truthful, there's no apology. Once the rule of law starts to fall, it metastasizes and it affects everything in the country. That's why it's a very wise people in our country who the founding fathers said the rule of law is the key underpinning of our country. As soon as that starts to fall, everything falls. And you and you're witnessing it right now.
Indeed. Baroness Thatcher on the rule of law relayed this statement and it affirms what you've been mentioning uh, as you've shared your eloquent thoughts, uh, Judge Saad. And I quote, the legal system we have and the rule of law are far more responsible for our traditional liberties than any system of one man, one vote. Any country or government which wants to proceed to its tyranny starts to undermine legal rights and undermine the law Unquote. Judge Saad, over the years, we've discussed the concerns of the erosion of the rule of law in America, and for that matter, the erosion of the rule of law in the West. Uh, just two years ago, Sir Ivan Lawrence, who served with Baroness Thatcher in the Parliament and was instrumental in her ascendancy to the Prime Minister, now serving as a board member of the International Leaders Summit, uh, raised this important concern at the Jerusalem Leaders Summit in Israel by stating the erosion of the rule of law in the West is a serious matter. And we know that Marxist socialism is on the rise here at home in America. And we know from history's pages and the legacies of communist nations in Eastern Europe and now an emboldened China that socialist and communist nations have no regard for the rule of law and the protection of property rights. Judge Saad, what should America's engaged stakeholders, the hardworking law-abiding citizens, the decent citizens, be aware about the resurgence of socialism in America, the significance of upholding the rule of law at home, uh, which, as late Baroness Thatcher called, was far more responsible for our traditional liberties and the protection of private property rights. Well, that's a, uh, it's a very complex, it's a superb question, but it's a very complex question because if ignorance and apathy continues, if people don't understand the nature of their government, that the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, is a limitation on government, why? Again, because absolute power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. You don't want centralized government. If one person's making the decision, I don't care whether I'm emperor for life, like in China, he declares himself emperor for life, or you act like one, like Governor Whitmer did. Like pretending, well, I'm the only one who cares about the health of Michiganders. No, there's a lot of people who care about public health. The question is, does one person get to make the decision? Does one person on the Supreme Court get to make a decision for 300 million people? It should be all members. It's state governments. It's townships. It's cities. It's representatives. It's dispersed power. It's the rotaries. It's the churches and the synagogues and the mosques. It's the people. This is a representative government. It means we all have a stake and we all should be informed. If we are not informed, if we don't inform ourselves, if we don't participate, then the few will take over. I mean, look at uh, Venezuela. It was a prosperous, beautiful, free country. And this man comes with his fist in the air, power to the people. Which, as soon as you hear somebody say that, you better get out of Dodge. Because all of a sudden, all of the power is his. And then Maduro all the power his successor. How is it that all of a sudden people are leaving by the millions and dying and starving in what once was a prosperous country? When you look at the left, I mean, compare it. North Korea, South Korea, you're looking at two different systems. Remember East Germany, West Germany, the Soviet Union versus the United States. Look at Taiwan versus China, the freedom. They had freedom in Hong Kong, but boy, it doesn't last long when somebody who has absolute power takes over. And the Constitution is meant to prevent the consolidation of power, 
and the left wants to consolidate power. Those are the two diametrically opposed views, and everybody, everybody, Joe and Natasha, has to educate themselves, become active, get involved, do what you're doing, get on the radio, talk, newspapers, anything, pamphlets. You, you just, it's not, it doesn't suffice to point out the problem. You have to actively engage to prevent the overthrow of your government by a silent coup. You have to get engaged. You have to work. You have to have the strength, the courage, the dedication to do that. It's not easy, but look at the people doing it. Governor DeSantis, he's a warrior. Uh, Jim Jordan is a warrior. The president is a warrior. They're saying, no, guess what? I love this country. I'm not going to abide by the condemnation of our country. This is the most generous and wonderful country in the history of the world. So if you love your country, if you love your country, you love, you, you do your best for the military and the police because you know that that's essential for all of our freedom and safety. The first, the first obligation of the government is the safety of its citizens from foreign attack and from domestic. So you're going to allow people to attack you from foreign countries? No. Peace through strength. What do you do at home? You don't allow cities to burn. And the president has said, he's the one who abides by the Constitution. He won't go in unless asked. Why not? Because of federalism, because the states have to ask him to bring in the federal troops. Trump has been the most fastidious about complying with the Constitution, yet he's derided every day as being a tyrant and defying the Constitution, when it's quite the opposite. He's been complying with some federal judge in San Francisco who issues an order which has nationwide significance. You're going to stop a president who was elected by millions of people from issuing an executive order because a cherry-picked judge in San Francisco issues a nationwide order? In what universe does that happen? But what does Trump do? He complies with it, even though a lot of us thought he didn't have to because that judge didn't have that kind of jurisdiction. But he's complying with the law. He won't go in to stop the riots, but the other side is allowing the riots to continue to allow the rule of law to be flaunted People are arrested after abusing people and destroying property, and then they're put right back out on the street. But if a person defends himself because they break through a gate, they're going to prosecute the person who defended himself. They're upside down. Well, if you think that this is sneak previews that the left takes over, you're right. It is. And, and for the countries that you just mentioned, Judge Saad, uh, Venezuela, uh, North Korea, uh, China, Cuba, uh, there is no higher authority than the government in those countries. And then the government replaces God, family, and Judeo-Christian ethical values. It runs counter the creed that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we do need to preserve, as you mentioned, our Judeo-Christian values that are underpinned by the rule of law, which protects life, liberty, and private property. As Ben Franklin and Jefferson and Washington and Madison and many others said, unless you have a virtuous citizenry, it doesn't happen. Unless you have an educated citizenry, it doesn't happen. That's why Jefferson started the University of Virginia. He knew that if you didn't have a well-educated citizen understanding how this country is formed, the reason for the Constitution and the rule of law, that it all falls apart. Which is why when the woman asked Ben Franklin when he came out of the, con out of the Constitutional Convention, what do we have? And he said, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. Why, can, if you, why did he say if you can keep it? Because it is very fragile, because it relies on civic virtue. It relies on the Judeo-Christian tradition of doing the right thing, 
of living by the golden rule. But And the golden rule doesn't mean if you have the gold, you make the rules. The golden rule means you treat people like you want to be treated. Who wants to be treated as though you are a king or queen or you, you dictate to, if you're the governor, 9 to 10 million people in Michigan, or if you're on a court, you put a robe on. Yesterday I was practicing, what, medical malpractice? I put a robe on today, and all of a sudden I'm going to decide for 300 million people the, the definition of life and death and the redefinition of marriage and all those things. It doesn't mean that you favor discrimination by saying that. What that means is that the people's representatives make those decisions, meaning the people. This is government by and for the people. And if that's true, how is it that one unelected person is going to make a decision for 300 million people? It's upside down. It doesn't make sense. So you're right, Natasha. If you don't hold true to the Judeo-Christian traditions which informed this constitutional republic and a free market capitalism, it all becomes Venezuela. And it could happen, as Reagan said, liberty is only one generation away from losing. And if good men do nothing, that's how evil prevails, plain and simple. Indeed. We truly appreciate your leadership, your principal leadership on the vital issues of our day. Thank you so much for your important remarks, your comments, what you've articulated. It's certainly enlightening. It's informative. Thank you so much indeed, Judge Henry Saad. Thank you, Judge Saad. Thank you, Joel, and thank you, Natasha. It's always wonderful to talk with you, and God bless America. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting in Michigan. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I am Jolan Ansami, your co-host joined by Natasha Sardoj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable brings together leading voices from business, government, media, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and via YouTube on International Leaders Summit. Visit iLeadersSummit.org.